We always have so many things to tell our audience about here at Intelligence Squared, so when I'm needing a top-down view of it all, I don't want to feel like I'm looking at organised chaos. That's why I really love Notion, which lays out different threads of work in a beautifully designed layout, and despite all of its clever AI tech going on in the background, it feels as clear and easy as putting pen to paper. Remember that? But with Notion, you can do a lot more than jot down a few thoughts. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. And thanks to its AI-powered model, the way it works is so intuitive, every question has an answer. I still love my paper notebook, but sitting next to Notion, it might need to up its game a little bit. Try Notion for free and up your game too when you go to notion.com slash squared. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash squared, lowercase. So you can start turning ideas into action. And when you use the link, you're supporting a Intelligence Squared 2. That's Notion.com slash squared. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Intelligence Squared. I'm senior producer Connor Boyle. For today's episode, we're going to a discussion on how to stay healthy into advancing years. Back in 2020, Intelligence Squared was joined by neuroscientist and best-selling author Daniel Levitin to discuss the ideas from his book, The Changing Mind, a neuroscientist's guide to aging well. Joining Daniel in conversation was journalist, author, and former director of policy for Prime Minister David Cameron, Camilla Cavendish. She's the author of Extra Time, 10 Lessons for Living Longer, Better. This is part one of a three-part discussion. If you'd like to hear this episode ad-free and enjoy the rest of the episodes immediately, you can support our mission to foster honest debate and compelling conversations by heading to intelligencesquared.com slash membership or by subscribing to our channel on Apple. Let's join Camilla Cavendish with more. So we're going to try and have a conversation um, really about how to live longer better um, with a particular focus on the brain. And I'm going to sort of ask the questions, but we're going to try and make it a conversation, and then we'll open up to the floor um, just before eight o'clock. So I suppose I wanted to frame the discussion, Dan, in a way by saying that you and I actually have a lot in common. We do. Um, And we're both optimists. Although I never worked at number 10. No, well, apart from that. (laughs) But in terms of our views on this subject, I think, you know, we're both optimists about what I call extra time, you know, this extended middle age, this longevity. But we're also... Pragmatist. So I think that we both have a certain sceptical view about looking properly at the evidence and trying to um, you know, look at some of the fads that are out there. And you make some very important warnings in your book about some of the fads that we should not be following. Um, and I think we both are seeking to live longer, but not necessarily longer and better rather than living forever. So, you know, there are Silicon Valley billionaires who talk about escape velocity from death Um, and I'm fairly sceptical about them. I think you are too. And I think we are both about the health span, which is a word you use a lot, improving the health span. So those last 20, 30 decades, how are we going to make 20, 30 years, how are we going to make them better? Um, And then I think we both agree that actually exercise is vital. Um, One group of septuagenarians I met in Illinois are now 30 years biologically younger than their chronological age, not because they're professional marathon runners, but because they 
basically took the fad that your friend Jane Fonda created many, many years ago, and they've just kept exercising ever since. And I think that's a sort of revolutionary thing. Um, and Jane started doing strength training, actually. Well, uh-huh. There you are. Exactly. Yeah. So can we start with the brain, which is your area of most expertise? And how worried should I be that on the way here I couldn't find my keys? I don't think worried at all. Um, If you look at your key once you find it and you forget what it's for, (laughs) 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 that might be the time to worry. Uh, But, you know, know, one of the myths about aging is that uh, memory starts to fail us, and that's not borne out by the research. Um, And... There's an overlay here having to do with the stories we tell ourselves. So as a college professor, uh, each of us are teaching college students, uh, we both see a lot of 20-year-olds, and I can tell you, 20-year-olds are losing their keys too. (laughs) And they forget their computer passwords, and they um, uh, forget um, their cell phone, or they lose it. 70-year-olds do it. No evidence that a 70-year-old does it more than a 20-year-old. What's different is the story we tell ourselves. When the 20-year-old loses their keys, they go, oh, man, i, I got to get more than five and a half hours of sleep, or I've got too much on my plate. The 70-year-old says, this is the end. It's Alzheimer's. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> but there are some things that do decline with age, aren't there? So what are those? Well, sure. Uh, Strength declines, uh, bone mass, muscle mass. um, And in the brain, we slow down a little bit. In every decade after 40, our pure processing speed slows down, but it's compensated for by an increased ability to extract patterns from events, uh, from stories. an increased ability to solve problems, and an increased ability to experience empathy and compassion. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, older adults might be slower, but for a number of things, they're better. So there's some very interesting research into um, multi-generational teams, because we're going to see probably four generations working in one workplace. And actually, if you get multi-generational teams working together you find exactly that, which is younger people are more dynamic, they probably have more ideas, they're kind of faster, but older people have more experience and they're better at resolving conflict, apparently. So you can come out with a more productive group if you manage it, right? And older adults are often better at predicting the outcome. Uh, Younger adults are more willing to take risks than older adults, but the older adults um, can look at all the different factors and synthesize, uh, can better calculate the risk. Um, And I think the other thing is that uh, we're talking about age diversity. In fact, teams with all forms of diversity are better at problem solving Mm -hmm. and at creativity. So uh, not just age diversity, but racial diversity, gender diversity, uh, diversity in socioeconomic status, LGBTQ+, all of those things count.
The events calendar is filling up here at Intelligence Squared, and to create each one, we obviously rely on some brilliant guests and onstage talent. But behind the scenes, there's also a producer, a production team, and the budget in the mix too. You've got to keep an eye on all of that stuff in one place. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. And you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because it's super easy to get started. NetSuite exists in the cloud, you see, no hardware needed. So you're cutting IT costs too. That's why over 37,000 companies have already made the move. And now by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-the-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash squared. That's netsuite.com slash squared. netsuite.com slash squared. Sponsoring the show for this episode is Marquee TV. Marquee TV is a streaming service with a difference. It's bringing you the top tier of performing arts straight into your living room or onto your device. So think dance, theatre, music, anything you might find in the West End, Broadway, or maybe a cool little experimental space too, but saving you the cost of a few tickets as well. I've got happily a bit lost in their vast library of performances, exclusive interviews, and behind-the-scenes content. Choreographer Jonathan Watkins' interpretation of George Orwell's classic 1984 was pretty cool, and I love the dance piece, Sutra, inspired by the skills of Buddhist Shaolin monks. And we've got a special treat for our listeners. Marquee TV offers three months of access for just 99 cents. That's right, three months for only 99 cents. With the code squared, simply visit marquee.tv and use the promo code squared to dive into the world of arts like never before bring the arts home with marquee tv hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And you, you have a whole chapter on perception. Um, and clearly the brain, you referred to patterns, and the brain is very good at filling in information, isn't it? So, you know, there's a part of our retina, isn't there, which is which doesn't have any cones or rods, and when we look at something, we're just filling in. We don't see a hole, we, we fill it in because of our experience. And can you talk a bit more about how older people's experience actually helps them actually understand and analyse situations better? This is a really interesting and nuanced point that you're making. Um, when, we, when a neuroscientist talks about perception, what we're talking about is the chain of events by which your brain constructs a version of the reality that surrounds you. The input that comes in for your senses is often distorted or incomplete, and your brain has to fill in missing information. Um, just as an example, I could be talking and there could be a sudden noise that drowns out part of what I said, but the intelligibility of it isn't affected at all. Mm. You don't even realize that your brain filled in that missing speech sound. And in fact, in experiments, people aren't even very good. People are good at saying, yeah, there was a, a loud noise, but they're not good at telling you where in the word it was because the brain has been so efficient it's just filled in. in filling it in. Yeah. Um, 
This filling in is based on experience. Infants and toddlers are not particularly good at it. It's based on having seen and heard uh, and felt and smelled and tasted a whole bunch of things in your life. But let's mostly talk about hearing and and vision, which we know the most about. Um, As you say, our eyes are filling in information all the time. Um, There's an evolutionary reason. You know, if you, you know, tens of thousands of years ago saw a tiger that was behind some trees... And so you didn't actually see the full body. You saw like a head here and part of a trunk here and part of a tail there. It would have been evolutionarily adaptive for your visual system to tell you that's actually a whole tiger. It's not three parts of a tiger. Uh, And it does this so automatically and seamlessly we don't notice it. Uh, With increasing age, we get much, much better at perceptual completion um, which kind of compensates for hearing loss and vision loss. And, and what does that mean for lifelong learning? Because, you know, if older people are actually better at reading some of those patterns, does it mean that we should be teaching, we can teach older, clearly we can teach older people, should we be teaching them in a different way? Do their brains respond slightly differently? Well, so um, younger adults are more likely to pay attention to what's actually hitting their senses older adults are more likely to pay attention to these inferences that the brain is making. Older adults spend more time in their heads than younger adults who spend more time in the sensory, hedonic, uh, the the world of of physical experience and pleasure. As a generalization, there there are differences, of course, but what this means is that if an older adult loses their keys, you know, they're not out there in the world as much looking at where they place them. They've got a bunch of stuff going on in their head, like I've got to buy milk and uh, I have to remember to call back uh, my sister and, you know, you put the keys down and you don't remember. But in terms of learning, uh, it it suggests that when we're teaching older adults new things that require a real attention to the environment, learning a new language, learning Mm. a new instrument, Mm. we need to um, understand that these kinds of things are going to take a little more time. But so still let's possible. come on to that because that's part of what we need to do to keep our brains sharp, isn't it? It's challenging ourselves to do really, really difficult things. And there's been a lot of work on this. Is that you know actually, unfortunately, you know we get to a certain. If you're successful, you know you get to 50 and you're kind of enjoying running the same committee or doing the same thing better and better. But the ev- the neuroscience evidence is that you really have to do something really hard, don't you? And learning an instrument is clearly one of those. Yeah, the, the, the idea here has to do with a... Um, I don't mean to use jargon, but in my field, and you may encounter the term, it's called cognitive reserve. And it's basically like this. If you're a weightlifter and you can lift 400 pounds, um, if you're having a bad day and you uh, are hungover or whatever, you can still lift 100 better than most people. You've got this excess capacity. And the brain is the same way. If you're constantly learning new things, if you engage with the world with curiosity and openness to learning new things, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, which is particularly important after age 60 or so, you're going to be building up cognitive reserve. You're going to be building new pathways. If you've heard the phrase neuroplasticity, that's just a fancy word for the brain making new connections. And it's a myth that we stop doing that at a certain age. 
you make new connections all throughout the life up to the day you die. Your brain is making new connections. Mm. Every time you have a new conversation, that's a new connection. A new food, that's a new connection. <laughs> Pushing yourself to difficult things like uh, learning a new language, playing a new instrument, or even just learning new things on your existing instrument. It reminds me um, of uh, Pablo Casals. Yeah. Uh, any of you know the name Pablo Casals? Great cellist, perhaps one of the great musicians who ever lived. Uh, he lived into his uh, late 80s, and during an interview, he was 84, and a journalist said, Maestro, why are you practicing? You've played every piece for the cello, you've toured with all the major orchestras, why are you still practicing at your age? And he says, because I want to get better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I think, I suppose the context of this is that neuroscience in the last, what, decade, really, has told us so, I mean, has overturned, hasn't it, so many of the myths. So the whole thing about neuroplasticity is so important to understand because we still have employers who won't train anybody over the age of 50 because the assumption is old dogs can't learn new tricks. I mean, that's such an embedded assumption in our society. It's, and yet, it's, as you say, we, we go on with neurogenesis, we keep creating new neurons, and we can embed those into the functional circuits of the brain. But we, we sort of, our society has not accepted that yet, has it? Right. There's a false societal narrative. Mm. Uh, it, uh, for one thing, uh, it's true, you can't teach an old dog new tricks, but we're not dogs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Good point. <laughs> um, and um, we are learning up to the very end if we choose to, and those of us who do choose to are going to find that learning to be neurally protective uh, against uh, things like... Uh, it's not that it will put off Alzheimer's or dementia, but it'll put you in a position where you and, and the people you, who are around you won't notice it because you've got all this reserve. Um, the societal narrative hasn't kept pace with science. Um, and, you know, part of it is that we are living longer and healthier yeah. than ever yeah. before. Maybe 40 years ago, it was true. That you couldn't teach older people new things because yeah. they hadn't lived lives that were as healthy they had lives that were marked by um, the stresses of uh, world wars and things like that. Um, and way, you know, we didn't talk about stress management for decades, um, but we are living longer and healthier. In fact, in 2018, as you may know, for the first time in history, there were more people in the UK over the age of 75 than under the age of five for the first time in history. And so, you, and, you know, we're living longer than ever before. There are more uh, septuagenarians and octogenarians than ever before. There are more people alive on the planet over the age of 80 than at any time in Absolutely. history. Yeah, yeah. So you may have heard the expression, children are our future. They're not. <laughs> old people are. Yeah. Lots and lots of old people. Yeah, I mean, actually, Dan, I mean, I think that the changing ratio of young to old means we have to rethink the very notion of family because we are not going to rely on children and we're going to have to build completely new support networks. And what you do see all over the world, certainly the countries I've been to, you see ordinary people building completely different support networks. So in Germany, there is an adoption service where grandparents are adopting single-parent families who are no relation to them at all. 
which is, of course, brilliant because it's a win-win for both sides. But, but they've broken that link with blood relatives. Anyway, just, it's an interesting point. Well, we see it in Canada, uh, in Toronto, which has a housing crisis. Right. There are these new combination dormitory senior living facilities where college students live with seniors, and they help each other out, mm. and they get mm. to know each other. Um, and, you know, the, this whole idea of thinking of old age as a time of wisdom and value... Uh, has been part of indigenous cultures and Japanese culture for a long, long time. Yes. And the older adults in those cultures uh, tend to live better and f- they feel more valued, and they are. In terms of what people in the room can do, um, let's just come back to that for a second. So, I mean, completely right. So when I wrote my book, I looked at the learning an instrument you know, evidence and, I, you know, and the learning a language evidence, and then I thought, well, look, quite a lot of people don't really want to do that. And if you haven't got a reason to learn a language, sitting on your own trying to learn a language to improve your brain is a bit difficult. So I also looked at brain training apps. Now, you're very sceptical about those, and so am I, and we've read similar research. Um, But there are one or two, I think, that may work, potentially. There's something called useful field of view training. There's been a couple of studies, 10-year studies, the active trial. So... And most of them, I agree, are going to be rubbish. You're going to be sold an awful lot of stuff online that will tell you to play a game and you'll get better and it probably isn't going to work. But do you think there is any prospect for brain training apps As a scientist, that will avoid having to learn a language? Yes. Well, I think there's, there's prospects. Uh, I don't think there's a, enough scientific evidence for me as a scientist to say, yes, you should do it. Of course, some things don't hurt. Uh, for example, there's no evidence that doing crossword puzzles or Sudoku yeah. will help you uh, with memory or with anything else. You get better at them, and that's the only thing you get better at. You get better at doing crosswords. Um, but, you know, if you enjoy doing them, there's no harm. And there are a couple of brain training games uh, that have been shown to produce, by my reading, modest results. Yeah. But they... You know, they haven't been replicated in a number of different labs and a number of different populations. So I don't want to say science says yet. But I don't think those games hurt other than your pocketbook, your wallet. Uh, Well, or they might stop you spending time doing, walking up a mountain or doing the other things. Yeah, well, they could hurt if they stop you from doing things that we know will help. Can I ask you about mindset? Because clearly, you know, we've got these amazingly plastic brains and we can develop... Can we change our mindsets, and how important is our mindset to the way we age? Well, so um, you can't control what's going to happen to you. You can't control what the universe throws at you, but you can control how you're going to respond to those things. And certain qualities, uh, personality traits, if you want to call them that, but qualities like resilience, curiosity, conscientiousness... Uh, turn out to be huge predictors of how well we're going to do at any age. Uh, Conscientious kids don't cross against the light, and so they're less likely to get hit by a bus. Uh, Conscientious adults are less likely to end up in prison. Uh, People who are resilient are less likely to suffer the effects of acute or chronic stress. Um, The good news is that although these qualities are unevenly distributed across the population, you can change them at any age. Uh, You can change your mindset. You can change your personality. Some people find it easy. Some people find it a lot of work. And there's no one way to do it that works for everybody, but the the big, the top, top ones are psychotherapy. 
psychotherapy works. Not every therapist is good. Not every therapist is going to be a good match for you. But psychotherapy really does work. Um, and um, meditation works for some people. Yoga, uh, having a, an inspirational uh, mentor or even role model, can you can say, "Oh, I want to be like that," and you, you, you try to emulate that quality in a person. Literature and art forms often inspire us to make changes. And then finally, there's medication. And um, we've seen increasingly that certain medications can restore a sense of resilience or curiosity Mm. or enhance these qualities that we might find hard to implement in our lives, especially among older adults. And do you think then that there is a happiness set point? Some people talk about a happiness set point. You know, we're all sort of pessimists or optimists and we kind of, whatever our situation, if we win the lottery, we're still not happy if we're a pessimist. Do you think we have a fixed happiness set point or can we change that? Well, I think we can change that. Certainly, the the ideal um, point of happiness, the most obvious way to change it is to follow the advice of the Dalai Lama and Warren Buffett. Now, think about that for a minute. (laughs) Think about two more different people. Uh, The Dalai Lama, who lives his life as an aesthete, an ascetic monk, and Warren Buffett, who's one of the richest people in the world. But the one piece of advice they agree on is the key to happiness is to be grateful for what you have and not focus on what you don't. And that changes the happiness set point dramatically. Right. And they both get a lot of sleep. They both get a lot which of sleep. Is also, yeah. yeah, you have a whole chapter about sleep, I think, in your book, yeah. which is clearly absolutely vital. And in fact, if we only got more sleep, probably a lot of the other problems would go away. It's true. And in fact, a lot of times when people go to their doctors uh, and they're afraid they've got Alzheimer's because of memory impairment, yeah. it's simply sleep deprivation. Yeah. You get them a good night's sleep and the memory deficits go away. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared. This episode was produced by Hannah Kay with editing from Tom Hall. If you'd like to hear the other parts of this discussion, head over to intelligencesquared.com to sign up and become a member. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think we should be talking about next. Send us an email or a voice note with your thoughts to podcasts at intelligencesquared.com. And if you'd like to hear more, attend some of our live events or peruse over 20 years of our back catalogue featuring some of the world's great minds, then head over to intelligencesquared.com. 